everybody Rage and Review Roundtable Session 6 Nick, Jerry, Josh back for another edition hoping to get some good participation thanks for joining us on this Monday evening boys how are you? doing great man doing great ready for some more baseball this week Bonjour. Bongiorno. <laughs> Travian weekend. Travian. Um, we're going to talk some baseball. We're going to talk about, obviously, the UTA sweep. Uh, wasn't quite what we expected, uh, but wins are wins. And at this point in the season, that's all that matters. We're going to talk about our pitching situation uh, going on the road to play Rice for a couple this week. Uh, we're going to look ahead a little bit. We're going to touch on this tragedy that has become terrible tune Teague and maybe we'll talk a little food too because that's always fun a little fun fact for you um, since the Troy series which of course we went back we are now 19 and 6 overall uh, we're 17 and 4 in conference we're I think one game behind uh, Georgia Southern in third place and yeah I think we're 53 in the RPI so um Lots, lots of work to do, but but there's. I think this part of the season is where it gets really fun. Uh, starting tomorrow night, it is going to get really fun to kind of keep an eye on other teams doing things, us trying to take care of business, and so uh, this is as a Cajuns baseball fan, this is where it gets good. I got. I would be remiss if I didn't give my mother props once again for that perfect strike she threw for Mother's Day a few years ago. Um, I just want to bring that up again because I shared those pictures on Twitter. I was pretty proud of the job that she did. Hopefully she'll hear this. She uh, won't. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this. You know, Jerry made the comment about scoreboard watching. Scoreboard watching is one of those, you know, unsung great things about making a playoff or a postseason run. That's fun. When you're checking in on other teams, especially when you have rivalries are, are like a Texas State who we don't really have a rival a rivalry with. But it's fun to watch their progress when you know that they're coming up, you know, on the next week and are two weeks away from you. You know, you know, that's going to be a showdown. They continue to win. It, it makes the series just feel big time. That's that's a fun part of it. I think, uh, Lane, I'm going to come to you in just a moment, but I, I want to say this really quickly. This weekend, this past weekend was one of those strange baseball series where you can come away thinking positively or more pessimistically, and you would be right. There were a lot of things to say. Like Jerry mentioned, we were down in each game. Um, in each game, somebody had a big hit. Debo had a couple. Uh, Trey had a couple. In in each game, you saw some heroics and some some gonads, I guess, is for lack of a better term. But there had to be big plays made on a pretty big stage. I mean, this is a win-at-all-cost moment. We have to win games. So, you know, you can look at that as, hey, this team's grown up. It's learned how to win. And, and I would have to agree with you. But you can also say, you know, Dex tinkers with the lineup on Sunday, the top top of the rotation or the top of the order goes 0 for 14 with a walk. You can also say that, you know, this was a team that was in the 250s uh, RPI wise. We should never struggle with them. I didn't, I, I thought that King would be a good pitcher. I thought that he was a good matchup for a UTA against us. His, his arm release, his arm length, his arm angle, 
uh, where his pitches cross the plate, they they start at the the front left uh, corner and they end, you know, on that back angle part of the plate. I mean, it, he throws across the plate, and for teams that are aggressive like we are, that can be deadly. I did not think Colton Wong would be that effective against us. I, I that surprised me. I did not see a ton of movement, so I went back and watched some of his other film. He didn't have a ton of movement on his on his uh, fastball. Well, his fastball moved a little bit on Saturday, so credit you. UTA for showing up and playing a tough series. You got to give them credit. I mean, they were gritty. They got some big hits. This is the worst offensive team in the conference. They were averaging three runs a game, and we basically held them in check, but they made us earn everything. And, uh, you know, defense wasn't great this weekend. It wasn't as good as it has been, which is uh, not really a red flag for me, but it's something I guess you could point to to say, hey, we got we to gotta make sure that we're staying on top of those kinds of things. You know, Debo made a couple of, of uncharacteristic errors, but my God, the outfield continues to be outstanding. Hood and uh, and and Marshak in particular, we, we we really we really have it figured out defensively going into the uh, to the postseason. Lane, what'd you see this weekend? A lot of uh, different baseball than what we're used to. But I'm glad we got the three wins because even with the three wins, we dropped to 52, 53 in the RBI. I can only imagine how much how far we would have dropped even with one loss on the weekend. Yeah, and see, kind of leading up to the series, it's, you know, we, we mentioned supposed to games on the last episode, and this is exactly what we were talking about. You never want to have to be swimming upstream in baseball because you can run into an arm like King. And now, we, again, we needed some heroics on Friday night to win that game. It's a tough, it's a tough deal, you know? I mean, they, they pitched, and, and that's the thing. Yeah, another thing, too, um, let's talk about Shock, how he was, he was, as Deg said, throwing up all weekend and, and goes over three Friday night. And you're looking at him like, man, over three on a Friday night, that, that that's not max. Like what's going on here. Then he makes that outstanding and play. Had three terrible you know, at bats. Three awful. Well, now we know why, right? I mean, oh. if I'm puking my guts out, I'm not even on the field. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm at home. Right. And y'all remember the comment I made his first at bat. I mean, Kemp hits a triple to lead off and max. I mean, he's swinging at an outside breaking ball that, even we would have stared at. And I mean, it just looks so unusual for someone like him who is so disciplined at the plate. And we're, you know, every now and then you're going to have a bad game like that, where you're going to do some things that are just questionable, but it makes sense now (laughs) to why he was doing that because he wasn't in his element. So the fact that he still played this weekend in itself was, was very impressive. And it just goes to show you the grit. It goes to show you the type of uh, competitors we have, uh, they're gonna put they're gonna put their their whole entire uh, well being and their health on the line to uh, to get the job done. So credit to him, and I'm hope he's doing better. I hope today was a good day for him to rest and and recuperate because we're gonna need him in these next five games. The other thing about Sunday was you knew first of all you basically know what you're gonna get out of Jeff. Jeff's the same guy, and you us you know us three were talking about it Sunday, and you know we have that first. That first inning was rough from Jeff, and it could have been worse than three runs. Credit to him, he kept it together. And then he came out, and, and he cut him up pretty good, and they got themselves out, um, they being UTA, obviously. You know, how many times has Jeff bounced back from a rough inning or two? It's, it's, that's something that we're going to have to have. We, we need that in the postseason. We need to be able to, if we're going to start out rough or, or you know, it was just it was just dicey waters there, and I, I mean I we were talking amongst each other, and we were saying you know we have three starters that are bullpen uh, converted bullpen guys, and we and I wondered in private 
you know, I'm wondering, are some of these bullpen guys, are some of these innings, especially these stress innings, the, the heat is starting to pick up. Is this starting to wear on them? And Tally comes up, has one of his best outings of the season. Schultz comes out, has one of his better outings of the season. I thought he had some of his best stuff that I've seen. And, you know, he, he did give up a couple of leadoff hits in that Saturday game. But overall, I thought his stuff was snapping. And, uh, you know, he was touching 94 a few times. So I, I knew he was out there to battle. Uh, and, and then Jeff. Jeff comes out and recovers from that first inning. I wonder if that comes into play. If anybody has a thought on that, I, I'd love to hear your your theory. But I'll ask Nick and, and Jerry to maybe elaborate. Does, had, has it occurred to you that we have three converted bullpen guys pitching big-time innings? And I'm, we're talking about five, six, seven innings almost every time they come out. Do you do you worry about maybe some late inning fatigue or some late season fatigue? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, at this point in the season, honestly, in this heat on that turf, I fatigue for anyone, right? It that that's tough. And then they got to go to to Austin this weekend, where it's supposed to be like ninety seven degrees for for all three games. So, um, I don't think whether it's an experienced starter or a reliever coming in as a starter, I worry about it at this point of the season. Um, maybe a little more concern, but as you said, we, we saw Wilson give us six. Um, we saw, and, and we see this every weekend, they give us six or seven innings, um, all three of our starters, which, which shows you that they're really settling in. Um, but I mean, death taxes and, and Wilson giving up three runs. Those are three certainties in life in, in the first three innings, rather runs in the first three innings. Now, what I liked about him yesterday versus a week ago was, he was able to get out of the third because he couldn't even get out of the third last weekend. And we were all having a conversation going, Oh crap. Like, is he going to make it out of the first inning? And, um, and he settled down. So that was more of what you expect out of Wilson where he'll give up a couple runs early and then he'll settle down um, as opposed to app state last weekend. So I was happy to see that, but yeah, I mean, not to the point where, where I'm going to push the panic button or, or anything like that, but it is something to watch. It's a great point with all of our starters in this heat. And, and as far as we've gone this season so far and with more games to come, it'll be definitely something to watch. I think whenever, so, so the South Alabama series was the first, that Friday night was the first Friday night BT got pushed into the Friday night role. So that was what that started that kickstarted that 19 and six run that we're in the middle of. So I see a pattern there. I see a trend that's 25 games where these guys have gotten experience. That's seven, I believe. That's seven weekends now where they've they've weathered they've weathered some storms and they've won the series. So um, we've seen Schultz get a few complete games. We've seen we've seen Tally go five six. Usually when he goes five or six, we're in good shape. We've seen we've seen you know uh, El Jefe Jeff. Well, we've seen Jeff Wilson get you know, a complete game and, and go far. So I, it's not that it's not as much as I'm, I'm panicking about that. I'm more concerned about the, the lineup of the bullpen. How do we approach the bullpen? I, I know Josh, you made a comment the other day about Jake Hammond pitching two days in a row. Now he's kind of become kind of a, I guess he's kind of become sort of a closer for us now, but you notice Toit comes in usually around the eighth, he'll go one or two and then Hammond comes in to finish it. But then you've got, Bo Bonds, you've got AP, you've got, you still, I mean, you saw yesterday Christie came in and pitched the last few innings, which I thought he did a great job. Uh, we still haven't seen, we, we were going to talk about this, but we still haven't seen Shiflet. We still really haven't seen Hayden Dirk. Um, there's a few guys in the bullpen that I'm, I'm kind of hoping we can start using now because now is the time to start getting that experience because 
you're going to start making that that final stretch in the regular season. Then you go into the tournament that you really have to go far into to have a shot at a regional bid. This is around the time where I'm curious to see how we approach the bullpen and see if we can get more experience from those guys rather than what we've seen over the weekend. I think what we've seen over the weekend with these three guys, even though they were you know relievers in the past, they've seemed to have kind of gotten – into a groove, if you will, um, outside of a few appearances here and there. So I'm not as worried about that. I'm more concerned about the consistency of who we're going to see in the bullpen and whether or not they can step up based on how much experience they get moving forward. Andy T, I'm going to come to you in just a moment. I want to I want to say one thing. I'm glad you brought up my comment on Jake Hammond for Sunday. The thing about Jake Hammond on Sunday, and and to a larger degree, uh, Toit because he threw he threw uh, two days in a row as well, and we hadn't seen him very much. This is the thing about that. You know, the last, I don't know, maybe three or four times out, Matt has talked about, Matt Dex has talked about the heat and, and wearing guys down. You know, it's Sunday, man. We've used four pitchers to this point. You got a stacked bullpen and everybody's dropping like flies of heat exhaustion and, and, uh, and dehydration and whatnot. Why do you go to Jake Hammond twice in two days? Why do you go to Toit twice in two days? Why don't you run out Christie for a first option on a Sunday if the heat is bad? Or look, I understand, and and I, I, the larger point here is that for a while I was getting on Degs about it was all about the analytics and it was all about the matchups and it was all about that. And now it feels like we've shifted a little bit to a gut feeling thing, which I don't love it, but I'm I I, I prefer it over look lefty righty does not matter who's pitching how they're put they're pitching uh, we're just gonna make the move. I hate I hate analytics in that way. Uh, analytics, analytics. We talk about this all the time, but I still think on a Sunday when you're in that situation and you have a full pin, like I I get that you trust Jake Hammond there and and Toit's numbers in conference are absurd. So I understand, I understand the trust uh, thing there. I get it. However, at the moment of, of, of any type of trouble, any sign of trouble, I'm going to my pin. And there were a couple of times where Brad and Jay both said, they were looking down at the pen, waiting, you know, waiting to see somebody get up and start moving and it was just chipper walking around in circles, you know, whatever he was doing down there. So I, I had I had uh, not an issue, but it's, to me, it seemed like perhaps that wasn't the best plan. Maybe you'd have had somebody ready to go right then and there. I mean, again, I make the comment about him saying how hot it was. If, if it was that hot, you're going to throw a couple of stress pitches and you're going to be tired. Andy, go ahead, man. Yeah. I just feel like it's been a story this whole season with kind of, I feel like anytime we play a team where it's a should win, you know, no brainer, you know, so this probably, I guess maybe the Nichols kind of some of those games every time this year, it's been an ongoing story. I feel like we just, we love to play down to them, you know, and we just kind of get lazy knowing we should win. And we just love playing down to our competition. I feel like it's been a story this whole year so far. I've noticed. I don't know if you guys kind of agree there on that or what. Yeah, I mean, I think the five errors that we had this weekend speak to that. I mean, we haven't had five errors in a weekend in quite a while. So, yeah, I feel like it almost feels like they're, I'm I'm not going to say unfocused, but a little bit lackadaisical in their execution. Um, So, yeah, I, I agree that we tend to play up or down to our competition, except for App State that first night, man, we... You know, that Friday night, we really we re- really opened up the floodgates and then kind of took the rest. It felt like we took the rest of the weekend off. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Andy. To some extent, I do uh, I do think that is the case sometimes. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that is the case at times. I mean, the Sunday game against App State, where you basically should have won, um, and you be, and you didn't show up. That's a prime example. Another example was Arkansas State, a team that's been pretty bad uh, all season long, and you had to grind two games in a row to to come out with with wins. There are times where we 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 have that inconsistency. I mean, you know, but but at the same time, uh, this weekend. Like I said, it's almost like you, like the saying goes, you can't treat a baseball game like a, a like like football. I think that's kind of what what this weekend proves. Um, and it's like I was telling Josh the other day, uh, it was a little frustrating at times, but we we accomplished our goals. We went three for three. So, um, yeah, I do I do think that is concerning at times when you do look lack of day school, as Nick mentioned, because moving forward when you play a Rice or when you God forbid go to Texas State and play like that. You're gonna lose. I mean, that's just that's just a cold hard fact. But um, in spite of that, I think we're still finding ways to win, even when they don't look too pretty. You just want to get that that W, man, and that's really what we did this weekend. And look, Sunday, one thing I noticed about our bats, even though we we hung only, I mean, I would say only six runs because we tattooed some pitches, man. They were, that 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 home run by Trey Lafleur to right uh, to to right center field. A place like the Teague, we know the ball doesn't carry well out there. That was a no-doubter the second it left the bat, which is very hard to do. Um, We got a few ground rule doubles early on. I mean, we hit the ball hard. It's just a matter of the situation of of where you are in the inning, and it's also a matter of of doing it at more consistently. But I thought we did a good job hitting the ball yesterday. And if we can continue hitting it like that, and putting the ball in play at a, an appropriate time with maybe less than two outs rather than doing everything with two outs. I mean, that would really come in handy this week. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're not going to win every game. Every, not every win's going to look pretty, but you, at this point, you just grind them every way you can. And I see Nick, uh, Nick, Nick, Nick's, uh, I'm getting prepared for the rest list. of the season here. <laughs> Nick's pouring up, pouring out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, hits weren't the problem this weekend. It was scoring runners. And, I, I, again, I give credit to UTA starters. They were good. Moffitt was very good on Sunday. Now, sun, now uh, Friday, we got to him. I think the crowd was, really played a role on Friday. I think he got a little bit erratic uh, in, that, in that late inning. Well, it was the ninth inning. Uh, but Sunday, he looked pretty damn unhittable for a while. Um, but I, it, scoring runners was the issue. I, I will agree with Andy to a, an extent. You know, we do play up. Look at every, we have not been dominated in a game this year with maybe the exception of Stanford. And I still, I still say to this day, if we score, if we score TR from third with two outs, uh, when it was one to nothing in that game, that's a totally different ball game. Also keep in mind, Marshawn gets hurt. So if we have those two things go our way, uh, that's a totally different ball game. I, I honestly think, I'm more concerned about Rice this coming week than I am, I think, Texas oh, State. I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I think we're going to find out a lot about our baseball team Tuesday and Wednesday. They just played some high-stress games Friday to Sunday, and now they're going on the road, which has kind of been a bugaboo. We've been better lately. But if you can point to a bugaboo, it's our, it's our road play, okay? So not only that is we still have not solidified anybody that we would call a midweek starter. You're going to see David Christie go out on Tuesday. Uh, I'm I am expecting AP to pitch on Wednesday. Now I don't have any inside information on that. That's just what I think. I can tell you this, and this is kind of something that I hinted at uh, on the board to talk about. 
Blake Marshall is going to pitch on Tuesday or Wednesday. It, it really depends on if the situation presents itself Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it is. But he will he will get and he's going to get an appearance on one of those days. That's huge. Uh, I talked to him today. He said his velo is not where it needs to be yet, but he's sitting about 87, and he thinks by the time the conference tournament is well underway that he should be. He told me he's getting better every day, but he thinks that he'll be back to his his what he expects to throw, which is that 90-91, you know, sit 90-91 um, by the conference. And that would be a huge shot in the arm. A power lefty, especially a specialist like Blake, throws strikes. Uh, he's aggressive. We need that. We need it desperately. Uh, also, Drew Shiflett, we talked about Drew Shiflett and where's Drew Shiflett been. Well, I found out that Drew has been uh, violently ill for quite a while, uh, had, a, had a trip to the hospital, uh, lost a lot of weight. Uh, not exactly sure what exact, you know, what, what the sickness was. I didn't want to pry too much, but I know that he's been, he's going to be, he's been on the shelf and uh, who knows how he's going to come back. So those are a couple of, of tidbits. It would be great to see them pitch against Rice, but I, I, I agree. I, I think Rice is terrifying. I'm going to try to make it out to, uh, to the games. Um, of course I live in Houston, so, um, busy, busy work week, but I'm going to try to make it out there and bring my good Grigri that I had for that, that Friday night game I attended at the Teague and we scored like a hundred runs. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I can bring some luck to the guys. Nick post the out you pitch. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. Yeah. That that's kind of become a staple for us as far as, uh, you know, the fact that we show up to the games, but, um, you know, I, no, look, as Andy said, this game, these games are terrifying because we know, uh, you, you lose, you can lose a lot more than you gain. Um, but I, at the same time, I kind of like, I kind of like the challenge. I, I, I don't like the, the appropriateness of, of a back-to-back midweek landing this time of year. But I do kind of like the challenge. You know, we weathered some storms this season. I think this is one of those these this is one of those situations where we can do that. Um, you're going on the road, even though rice isn't the rice of old you're still playing rice and you're still going to their house. And, you know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be very similar to a UTA type game where they're going to play a little more loose. I I think they're back home. They had a rough weekend at Charlotte this past, uh, past weekend, but they're back home in their stadium and they're going to want to have something to prove. And so um, we're going to be challenged. And, And to Josh's point, I'm a little concerned too, Nick, about the pitching because I'm curious to see, um, like I talked about earlier, where, how do we approach the bullpen? Because we're going to need everybody come this weekend. How are we going to do that back-to-back games leading up to Texas state against a team that, you know, would rice really has nothing to lose. I, I am curious to see how, how Deggs approaches that um, and tomorrow and Wednesday night. Yeah. And I think, I think speaking of having nothing to lose, I mean, we've just played two series against two teams and I'm going to say doesn't have anything to lose, but UTA, they're not going to make the tournament. We know that app state was, was fighting for a spot. So they had more to lose, but uh, you look at, you look at rice. What scares me is rice did score 13 runs against Charlotte on Saturday. They lost 14 to 13. Um, but they did give up a lot of runs to Charlotte. They gave up 13, 14, and 9. So they do typically give up a lot of runs, but they have shown they've shown some ability against Western Kentucky. They scored 13. Against uh, UTSA, they scored 16. 
So they can, if if we're not on our game in the bullpen, they can score some runs on us, and and we'll have to to outscore them. And that's a lot of runs to to try to outscore another team. So yeah, there is a little bit concern there. Um, I, I I've seen a trend this season too, and we'll see if that carries over to midweek games against below average or average pitchers. We can hit the ball, but when you have a good starter or, you know, one of the elite Friday night guys we struggle against. And the the two guys that I think they're going to throw this weekend, or excuse me, this midweek, um, are two guys that have decent ERAs. So that they're average pitchers. I'm hoping that we can take advantage of, of getting by their starters in the first couple of innings, knock them out the game again to their bullpen, because that's where they really struggle. But um but yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how long our starters can go who haven't really started a game maybe this season and uh, how the bullpen comes in behind and who we use. I mean, we've got a ton of guys we haven't seen most of the season. I think we've got Ray out there as well that we haven't seen much of. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what develops um, develops this, this week. But two crucial games RPI-wise. Now, I would typically say, well, it's a midweek game. You know, go out and throw throw everybody and let's see what happens. But it's so critical with five games remaining that we have got to win those two games going into, te- into Texas state. That that's huge for us. Yeah. Th- this, and look, rice is batting two fifty as a team. Uh, their ERA is, I think six, six point two six. Yeah. The ERA is right over six. So we should be able to hit on them. Uh, I, you know, their midweek pitching isn't that great. I would think our bats should come alive in the next two days. This is an opportunity opportunity for the bats to get hot going into San Marcos. But but again, I, I, the biggest concern is pitching. I, I think if our pitching can carry these next two games and we get some decent experience from our bullpen and they can go three to four innings at a time and limit their bats or limit Rice's bats, I mean, you can use that to your advantage going into the weekend and as as well as beyond next weekend. So um, really odd dynamics in the next two days, but dynamics that I think our team is up for and and, and would and, and can face um, head on. I'm really excited to see what they can do. One thing we've got to do is find out who we can trust going forward, and that's long relief. That's in a setup role. Uh, I think that Jake Hammond has proven that he's going to be your guy as far as, you know, late game situations where you need somebody to come in and slam the door. I I think Jake has proven that. And, you know, in my view, it's a shame that it took this long for somebody to to realize what this guy was capable of. But, you know, Degg said that he started the season and struggled. So maybe he's just one of those, you know, know, uh, they used to say that Jake DeLone was a terrible practice player, but in the game he just was Jake. Maybe uh, we have some of that going on with a, f- a few of our, our pitchers. Like, look at, look at Cooper Rawls. All of a sudden, Cooper comes out of here and, and, uh, and, and contributes to the team when really nobody was thinking about him. So, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I just need to, we need to find some guys we can rely on. David Christie was somebody that we thought last year was going to be a key part of the, of the piece, of the, uh, you know, of the puzzle. And obviously, we haven't seen him as much as we thought. Um, unfortunately for Drew, he was really starting to pitch well before he got sick. Hopefully he can get well first and foremost, and then be able to ramp back up and come and help us into the, the postseason. That would be spectacular. Uh, but, but we need other guys. Look, AP is, is about 36 years old. We need Austin to come out and pitch his age and show some, some, you know, senior leadership, some quad senior leadership, however the hell long he's been here. It's been a long time, but 
we need somebody to step up. We're going to need somebody to, to, to really step into a role and say, hey, everybody jump on my back. I'm going to take us through here. Uh, but, but Jerry, you mentioned Rice and their pitching. Uh, you know, they were competitive in two of the three games against South, uh, Southern Miss. I don't know if you mentioned that, but they lost one to nothing on a Friday night, and that was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And then they, you know, they lost six to three on Saturday. Southern Miss is good. We know how good they are. We saw them firsthand. They can pitch and they can swing it. I'm just telling you, Rice is dangerous. That is a dangerous situation we have on our hands. Everybody, please chime in. Please request to speak. We, you know, we do this for you guys. We love to hear your opinion and your feedback. Jerry and me and Nick, and I see Matt's here. We all talk to each other way too much already. So please, please chime in. We, we want to hear your feedback. Uh, but beyond Rice, you know, Texas State, what can you say? Look at the record. 11 losses on the season. Uh, one of the better out-of-conference schedules. Uh, the RPI is what, 39, 38? Has it moved any since we checked? 38? Okay. So it's an opportunity. It's three opportunities to boost our postseason resume. At the end of the day, that's all we're playing for right now. I mean, we got to win, bottom line. Now, Rice is first, and you got to take that one game at a time, obviously. I'm not trying to get ahead of ourselves, but the weekend's showdown, that's the conference. That's for the conference. We still have an opportunity to win the league. It's a small one, but it still exists. You never know. Baseball is a crazy game, so Texas State is the priority. Let's just not, you know, let's let's not forget that because I want to win the league. I want to ask you guys something. I know the approach from a fan's perspective is a lot different from a player's perspective and a coach's perspective, but basically Texas State has no midweek games this week. We have back-to-back against Rice. Do you think now on paper you would say, okay, Texas State has a lot of time to rest, they have a lot of time to prep for us, and we have to play two games on the road. Would you say that that could be a huge disadvantage for us or could we use that as an advantage to get our feet wet while Texas State can be a little rusty for being off for five days? What do you guys think about that? Open well, I, any question for anybody who wants to chime in on that. I think it I, I think we saw a little bit of that against App State and again this weekend. Now again, we came out against App State and just Friday night was amazing and we hit the ball all over the place. But I really do think I, I know our guys wanted to play. Our guys wanted to play baseball, not against themselves. They wanted they wanted competition on the field both weeks during the week. It didn't work out that way. So I think for our team, it's going to be an advantage because they're getting, you know, they're getting to see some live arms from another team. They're getting to, you know, um, go through their normal routine pregame and 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 all that stuff. And um, so I think for us, it's an advantage whether or not it's a disadvantage for Texas State. I don't know. I think Texas State is mature enough as a baseball team to get past that. But if I were them, I would like to have a midweek game. Just my opinion, again, to go against a live arm. That's not one of your guys. And I I get that they could, they'll probably have a simulated scrimmage or whatever, but, but I think it is important uh, for those midweek games for you to like, like Josh said, get some guys out there out of the pen and see how they perform. You never know when, when you might have a situation and have some situational pitching this weekend that now we know they pitched against Rice. We, we use them in that situation. We see it. We can use them again that maybe we wouldn't have had that opportunity to um, otherwise. So I think for us, it's an advantage for, for Texas State. I'm neutral. I don't know. Um, I think they're mature enough. But again, I do think they would like to have a game uh, during the week to kind of break it up. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, 
hopefully, hopefully it works in that advantage, right? Oh, I'll give I'm you. Kind of, go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm kind of. I really think it could just depend on how we do against Rice. I think if we if we're able to you know come out guns blazing, win, you know, not have to use too many arms, I think it really does set us up well for this weekend. But I think you know if we split that series against Rice, you know, or God forbid, I hope we don't lose both. But you know that that would really concern me. But I I, I kind of agree with I think what Nick was saying. I think it. I think those two games really will help us. I think we, we like to feed off momentum a lot, a lot more than, you know, I think I feel like other teams do. Yeah. But my answer is a little bit of a cop out, but it's, it's true. If we come out and play well against rice and you know, let's just say, for example, Austin starts Wednesday and lights out for five or six innings. That's two quality starts in a row. And we're going into Texas state where we may need some long relief. That could be a huge shot in the arm for us. It, just say Durkee comes out and pitches a couple of good innings on a Tuesday. You never know. Everybody's a start away or an appearance away from that confidence thing clicking. It happens. You know what I mean? It, 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 it could, it's like an at-bat. You know, maybe, maybe Rinconis or Bobby is an at-bat away from it just clicking for, the, for the, you know, the rest of the season. If we go out and play well against Rice and we put some runs on the board and we recover from that Sunday game where I think the offense really felt like they, they, they left a lot of opportunities on the, on the field – if they recover from that and they play, play well against Rice on the road, I think it's a huge shot in the arm. It, that's momentum riding into Friday uh, against Texas State. On the other hand, come out flat and play poorly Tuesday or Wednesday. You know, say uh, AP goes out on Wednesday and blows all the momentum from his last start on a bad start. I mean, it's situational. It can be good. It could be bad. I, I, I don't think that it's going to be indifferent one way or the other. I think we're either going to gain something from these two games or we're going to lose something from these two games. And I really want to see, to Andy's point, I really want to see us come out and beat a team that we're much better than. You know, the last time we were in Houston, now it's a totally different team, okay? But we went out over there and embarrassed them on a midweek game. It was bad. And I, I had no idea how far that Rice program had fallen until I sat in those stands and watched that game. I mean, that team is a, is a ghost. It's a shell of what it used to be. I mean, wow. The atmosphere was even bad. I mean, it was awful. So it's a road test, no doubt. I don't care what their RPI says. I look at their schedule and I see the games that they were competitive in and it strikes fear into my little heart. To be fair, Josh, every game we play right now <laughs> strikes fear into my heart because I know what we're capable of doing. Um, and that's both good and bad. We're capable of doing some really good things, but we can, we're also capable of poo-pooing the bed. No, I, I just hope we, we've moved past that. Right, and and, any, and anybody is. That's the danger of baseball. You know, that's what we keep trying to tell people, and I know everybody's going to lose their mind if we lose a game like that, but it's it's the absolute truth. Everybody in this group is familiar with the game. The game is a, it's a, it's a strange game. doesn't matter how much better you are. You can run into an arm, and it could wreck your season. I just, I just go back to Jackson State, that first game. The off-speed lefty, and he shut us out. So, no, it's exactly it. And, and, you know, you're going up against, again, you're going up against a team, and I said it about UTA, and I'm going to say it about Rice. They're playing with house money. They're playing with nothing to lose. They're playing with pride. So you definitely want to um, you definitely want to mind your P's and Q's going into those games. And that, that's kind of why I asked the question, because I think we can use it to our advantage. The fact that, like, like Nick said, we run into certain situations um, during the game that can help us. Uh, and I think – you know, if you go two for two, you're going to have momentum and, and, and some excitement on that bus 
driving to San Marcos. I think that's that's huge. Uh, you know, you can only do so much playing inner squad and, and simulating games, whereas we would get the real competition. And I have no doubt in my mind that Texas State will probably do an inner squad matchup. But it's almost like in football. Uh, what's the number one comment a coach makes going into week one, especially in college football? It's nice to finally hit somebody else rather than hit your own teammate. And I think that's kind of the same situation, even though it's baseball. You're playing against somebody else. You're getting experience against somebody else. You're preparing yourself against somebody else rather than your teammates who you're familiar with. So um, I think I think it's good and it's bad. I think it's good because we do get we do get some competition. We do get a little bit of a challenge. It's bad because, like I said, there's a lot more to lose than to gain. But if you go two for two, you know, look, Deggs, Coach Deggs said it this morning on Scott Prather's show. He straight up said it. The magic number for road wins, if you want to look good on the resume for a postseason bid, is 15 wins. Right now we're at 12. So you go two for two, you're at 14 wins. Three more games left. You take two out of three, 16 wins, two out of three against Texas State. I think these players have a golden opportunity to do something special this week. I really do. And we'll see starting tomorrow night. Well, if we want to be in the postseason, we have to. So that that's just the bottom line. But, but I will say – I. If I'm a player and I'm I'm Coach Doe or I'm Coach Deggs or I'm I'm any one of those guys, I'm saying I'm deathly afraid of Rice. I'm deathly afraid of Rice. I don't want to talk about Texas State right now. Nobody on this bus is allowed to say Texas or State in the same sentence. We're not talking about Texas State. So anyway, I, and I know they're going to be I, I know they're going to be focused. I'm not worried about it. But the thing what is, is is that we 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 do play down from time to time. But I think that this is such a it's such a crucial portion of the season. And these boys want to play in the postseason. I, I don't. There were times where, when we we're on our way to Georgia State and App State, that I thought, "Oh God, we're on the road." I hope that they stay focused. I don't have that feeling going into Rice. My trepidation is how are we going to manage the pitching staff? Which you guys know how I feel about that. What if? What if they they entered into Texas and said you were entering the state of Texas? Is that okay? Kick them off the team. <laughs> <laughs> Before we before we move on from baseball, I want to say, did anybody? I know this was kind of a debate on the board, but you know, Deggs made a comment about this being a regional team before the season started, and there's a feeling that fans are going to be upset if we fall short. Obviously, I'm going to be disappointed, uh, but I, I think that the debate right now is that if, if Deggs is going to be blamed for you know promising something that he couldn't deliver, I have a question to the group. And I'm going to point it to you guys first, and the group can respond. As a fan, did you take Deg saying that he thought this was a regional team as coach speak? Or did you think that he felt that this was a good enough team to play in the postseason and he was letting the fan base know that this is our standard this year and that we expect to be playing in the postseason? And I'll, I'll give it to you guys, but I just want the group to think about that because it's been kind of a hot topic today in particular. So I'm going to say... Deggs doesn't mince words, right? And Deggs said, we're going to Omaha. We haven't been to Omaha yet. I'm not blaming Deggs for it. But that's that's called setting expectations. If you're saying, oh, the guy, you know, credit their team. They they did a great job. That's coach speak. But 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 laying out what your expectations for the teams are, it's putting fans on notice, but it's also putting the team on notice on what he expects. And publicly, he's putting it out there. So they have to live up to that those expectations. Um, earlier in the season, the way things were going, if they continued down that path, I would have said, 
dude, you said this was a regional team. We can't even make our tournament or we barely made the tournament. I'm not saying that today. And if we don't make the regional, I'm not going to say, screw you, Dags. You say we were going to make it. I, he's put us in, he's put us in that position. Now, granted, there have been some, some questionable decisions that Josh doesn't like. And some of us also kind of looked at and go, why are you, why are you doing that? But again, he has put us today in a position to finish the season and be an at-large bid for a regional. That's huge. And if we, if we fall short, it will be disappointing. I'm like you, Josh, I will be disappointed and I won't be happy, but I'm not going to be looking at Degs going, you screwed this up. This is all your fault. Things happen. It's baseball. I know we say that all the time, but he set the expectation. And I really, truly believe knowing Deggs all these years, he's not going to say something that he truly believes. And that I think he believes. So that's why I think it's the expectation. He said it's not coach speak. Coach speak is to me totally different. And it's something that you hear out of every coach. You don't hear every coach saying, hey, we're going to be a regional team this year. No, you hear them say the typical things. Well, they played real hard. We tried our best. Credit the other team. That's coach speak. Setting expectations totally different. Yeah, setting a standard and talking a post game about we played well or we didn't play well are two separate things. I think in this particular case, Coach Daggs saw what he saw at preseason practice and saw that this team was good enough to make a regional. As of tonight, the way we've been playing, I think we are a regional team. Not to say we're going to make it, but I think we're good enough to play in a regional. We've got the talent. We've got we've got the grit. We just have to hopefully take care of business to put ourselves in the position of what our standard standards are. And that's to be a regional team. I think rage occasion baseball has built a culture just like softball where a postseason bid should never be, it should never be something that's out of the realm of possibility. Well, okay. I, maybe I'm exaggerating. I mean, softball hasn't missed a regional in over 20 years, but I'm just saying that expectation applies to baseball as well. Um, I think where the difference comes in from coaches speak is when, like you said, Nick, about, you know, whether it's post-game or pre-game, well, we got a great group of guys and they're doing this. We're practicing hard and all that stuff. I mean, look, every coach says that. It's different than setting your standard. Um, and I think that's kind of – am I going to be mad at, at Coach Daggs if we don't make a regional? I mean, I'm going to be upset as a fan. I, you know, it's been since 2016. It's been six years since we've been to a regional. I think we have, as a baseball program, you know, we haven't accomplished that in a while. And I think as a baseball program, we've sold ourselves short of expectations a little bit there. But of course, there were some, you know, extenuating circumstances in the middle of this six-year hiatus. So the, the, the circumstances are very unique in our program since 2016, obviously, with the death of Coach Robe, COVID, uh, Coach Deggs coming in, basically having to rebuild. I mean, really, this is only a second full season as the, as the head coach. I mean, I really don't count 2020. We played, I think, like 16 or 17 games. And yet in the second full season, he has us in a run and a, for a possible uh, uh, regional berth. So if if we don't make it and, he, you know, I'm not going to get mad and say, oh, my gosh, you said we we're going to make a regional. It's going to be more along the lines of, well, you know, it's your second full season. You know, we were close, but. Now it's time to, you know, moving forward, we, we know what our expectations are. We know what we're capable of. Now it's time to, to get it done. So, yeah, I, it's it's not a big deal to me. But, you know, when you say those things like we're a regional team, when you say those things like we're a standard, you do set you do by default set a standard for your program. So after a couple of years, when you don't fulfill that, you're going to have fans that are going to question that. They're going to go, wait a second. You said we're this. You said we're that. 
And fans, when you say those things, what happens? Fans buy tickets. They support the team. They give money because they believe that message. They believe that you're capable of these things. So, yeah, am I going to get mad right away? No. But moving forward, and if, if next year and the year after we miss a regional, including this year, then yeah, I'm going to be like, well, what the heck, man? You know, this is we're we're a lot more capable than what we've what we've shown on the field. So, yeah, I, I think when a coach says that, they definitely set the standard for the program. And and I don't think you know, look, Coach Deck says we're going to Omaha. I love that. I love that. That 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 should be the expectation for every sport across the board. You know what? Compete for a national title. Why not us? I've been saying that for however long, and I wish I wish some of our fans would understand that it's okay to think big. It's not a sin to think big, but that doesn't mean if we don't go to Omaha, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. I don't think a regional bid is far-fetched for what we do as a program. So yeah, I'm no, I I think there's a difference between setting a standard and and coaches speak when you're saying our team played great or our team played bad after a game. I think on my end for me after, you know, the HUD years and then now Marlin of so much smoke being, you know, blown out their rear end. What, what, how much, how much worse can it get? You know? So I'll, I'll, for me, it's more like I'll believe, I'll believe it when I see it on the field. I mean, I knew looking at the team, you know, I, I think they, I wouldn't sit. It's kind of in the middle. Like I kind of, I, this is where I expected them to be on the brink of making a regional so, I, you know, that, that was kind of my perspective on it. I, I didn't take it too much so hard on it. Uh, you know, a little bit of coaches talk there, I think, in my eyes. Well, you just gave me an, you just gave me an end to uh, mention basketball real quick. Uh, and <laughs> Nick's laughing. But, you know, the reason why I think we were so hard on basketball over the last year, uh, you know, after 20, 2018, that, that magical run, you know, when a coaching staff says we're the standard and we have the most wins in conference and we have the nicest arena and we're everybody's Super Bowl, you set that standard for yourself. You set that standard for your program to fans when you say those things. So when you're finishing in fifth or sixth place, that's not coaches speak. That's a standard that you set for yourself. And that's the expectations you set for yourself, which is why fans get disappointed. Same thing you mentioned with coach HUD. Oh man, big time. We're big time. We're big time. And then you finish the season five and seven with losses to like New Mexico state and, and Georgia Southern when they were one and nine and and losing to just some rinky dink teams that you really shouldn't have lost to, you know, especially after you made the run that you made those first four seasons, fans going back on, wait a second, this is not this is not our standard. This is not what what's expected. But, you know, no matter what you say after the game or coaches speak, that it gets, it's null and void because you're not reaching the expectations that you set for yourself. Sometimes you become a victim of your own success, but when you say those things that also applies, but um, no, Andy, I think, I think what you mentioned a little bit of is I'm used to it or you're used to it. Kind of have a little bit of that CDS, that old Cajun disaster syndrome that we all know and love. Uh, Nick is smiling. Nick knows what I'm talking about. You've been around long enough and to know. I, hey, I've seen all the disasters. <laughs> you know, I get it. I get I get CDS real easy. But um, look, if if they weren't putting a good product on the field, and again, sometimes they struggle a little bit, and 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 we'll get down on them. But if they weren't truly putting a good uh, product on the field, and look how far we have come since the beginning of this season, then I think I would it would be more of a of a of an issue. But Last year we improved. This year our feeling has improved by leaps and bounds. We're making a run. I I don't have any problems with it. I think I think this is like Andy said. If I think 
my expectation was that we would be competing to be in a regional this year. And we are at the end of the season and we are competing to be in a regional, not having to win the tournament, like possibly an at large bid, which I don't know that if I would have started the season, I would have thought. So I'm happy yeah. where we are right now, but we got to keep going. Don't give up. That that's see Nick's that's perfect. That's exactly where I land on it. He said we're a regional team and and I thought, well, we should be good. This is the, the natural progression of things. We were we were better in the COVID year that got shortened. You could see how we were getting better. We were better, although I still think we underachieved last year, we were still better. And then this year we're a little bit better. So I expected to be in the field of sixty four, or I expect to be in the field. It that's why I'm not too upset about it, because Regardless of if it's coach speak or not, it didn't really do anything for me because that's what I expect to do. Um, and look, happiness is the slave to expectation. I understand all that. If we would have expected to go to the field and we'd be sitting here at 10 games below 500, I, you know, I'd be riding. You know, that, I get more upset about coaches making excuses uh, than I do about having expectations or setting lofty goals that they can't hit. Uh, and in this in this case, Dex can hit that goal. I mean, that's a goal that we all expect to be able to hit most years. So it didn't really it, it didn't really catch me off guard. This is exactly what I expected. But I, I'm much more concerned when a coach says in private to a group of, let's say, boosters and donors, uh, that we have a Sweet 16 team and we don't even make it to our conference final championship game. That is way more concerning. Uh, and I think we can all figure out what we're talking about here, but. I'm more concerned about those kinds of things. I'm not. I'm more concerned about blaming altitude for a loss or Mardi Gras for a loss. I'm. I'm. I'm upset about that when it happens. I'm not upset about a coach saying we're going to Omaha, or we're going to get. We're going to get a, an at large, or we're going to get into the field of 64. That is what I expect. So that's the difference. JMV, I see you there. What do you got? Yeah, in my mind, I'm kind of like Josh. It doesn't matter to me who the coach is, what the coach says, who's on the roster. In my mind, I'm disappointed if we're not a regional team every year. I just think the expectations have been set, and I think that's the minimum standard that this program should be at. Well, you don't think that Robe every single year, his goal was to be a regional team? I mean, Dex just said what the expectations are. It's not like he's setting anything out of the ordinary. That's where we should be. So um, I agree with you, man. If somebody walked up to you on the street right now and said, do you believe the Raging Cajun baseball program are a top 64 program in America? And I'm not talking about this team. I'm talking about our program as a whole. Do you believe that the Raging Cajun baseball program as a whole is in the top 64 of programs? I think every single one of us in this group would say absolutely without even hesitation. So if that's the case, it should not be some far-fetched idea that we should be making the field of 64. If not every year, pretty damn close to every year with the resources, the support, the, the recruiting pipelines, the history, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, it should not even really be a, a story. It shouldn't even be a blip on the radar. Of course we expect to make the field. And, and yeah, I'm not going to get mad at Diggs if we don't, if we don't make the field because I'm mad at him every week anyway. So it doesn't really matter. JMV, how about, uh, how about Melissa Mayu and her uh, Sunbelt champion uh, or Sunbelt uh, player of the year honor? Uh, she used to be our neighbor, which was cool. She used to do little odd jobs for the neighborhood, and uh, my daughter got to know her a little bit. She's an awesome person. Uh, I'm very happy for her to have such a great year on, on what feels like her 15th year in the program. Uh, thoughts on Melissa? Yeah, I think it's a huge honor. Um, I mean, she was a, the Florida Gulf Coast player uh, MVP of the year last year for the Summer League. She started off slow this year, but I knew she'd come around. I knew she had to be in the lineup. 
I just think it's a very good honor for somebody that's probably one of the hardest working kids that's ever came out of that program. There's no question. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I have to pass by her house coming home every day and leaving and going to school with the kids. And there's, I'm telling you right now, more days than not, you'd see her under the carport that they had set up at their house and they had a, a little batting net and she'd be bouncing the ball. And, uh, you know, I don't, they have this drill that they do where they, sh- it's like a short swing. She would be doing that every time we pass by almost every time, not every time, but most time, if she wasn't doing that, she was jogging around the neighborhood. If she wasn't doing that, she was, she always had a bat and a ball in her hand or she was working on, on something always, always. And, uh, I- I'm just happy to see somebody that works that hard. Like you said, uh, uh, you know, get an honor like that. How cool is that? And then, you know, of course, Jerry and I talked about this on the phone yesterday. I think it's amazing what Glasgow has been able to do another championship, win the league again with literally every excuse imaginable, all, you know, seven freshmen getting big time playing time. You, you had so many different injuries throughout the course of the year. You're trying to build a new pitching staff. Uh, the Sun Belt is better this year uh, from top to bottom. I, just we just we don't spend a lot of time on softball, but I just wanted to give that team a shout out for winning the regular season championship again. You know, continuing their series wins again for the seventy third consecutive time. Um, wow, what uh, what a season! Uh, had every excuse not to be able to perform to to their level of expectation, and all he did was go out and do it, and uh, had some pretty nice hardware at the end of the season with with player of the year and newcomer of the year and. Plenty of first team all Amer- or uh, all conference. So wanted to shout them out. We lost to McNeese in midweek, so fire the guy. Oh man, that looks pretty <laughs> ridiculous now, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> I just want to say congratulations um, to the softball team for winning the the regular season uh, conference championship um, for a team that had six, seven freshmen rotating in, rotating out, starting day in and day out, and just grinding with a you know brand new pitching staff trying to you know just grind their way through a really tough non-conference schedule. Um, I just see, I love the perseverance of this young team and uh, it's been a lot of fun to follow them. It's been a lot of fun to see them grow and for them to take care of business and, and win the, uh, the conference championship is a huge, huge accomplishment for a team that really, you know, a lot of people, not to say they wrote them off, but we were all kind of worried middle of the year. At one point, I think we were 16 and eight or something like that. And, and we were all like, man, are we even going to make a regional? And then here we are now, not only are we going to make a regional, but this team can actually do something fun uh, in regionals because it looks like they're hitting, they're hitting their stride at the right time. So congratulations to coach Glasgow and the girls. Um, Fantastic uh, turnaround the second half of the year. And um, I tell you, you know, this is only the beginning. I, I've said it once. I'll say it again. I'm so excited to see what this team can do, not only uh, this postseason, but the next year and the year after that, especially with the recruiting classes that uh, Coach Glasgow's bringing in. This is going to be a fun three or four year run uh, coming up, especially if you're if they're doing what they did this year with so many freshmen playing and starting. But uh, once again, congratulations to the Raging Cajun softball team. Once again, conference champions. Business as usual, back to normal. Beautiful thing to see. All right. If you've spent any amount of time at the Teague this season, I need you to chime in because something is is wrong. There's something going on upstairs with the music, and we got to address it. First of all, what is this country rap crap? What is this? This hip-hop country stuff. What are we doing here? We, we got a dubstep over, a, 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 I think it's a George Strait song. 
I get a dubstep. It's it's like a dubstep with George Strait. It it hurts my ears. Whatever it is, it's brutal. Then they changed the celebrate good time song at the end of the game. Why why would you ever touch that? Wait, time out. No, we didn't. Did they? Somebody messed with it. Yes, it's a totally different version. It's like a girl singing now. Or, or I mean, there's there's women in the original version, but there's like a kid singing. Uh, there, there there's a problem upstairs, guys. It has to be addressed. We're still playing Sweet Caroline, but we're 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 moving. You know, some staples. Like I haven't heard much. Um, Tom Petty. Why are we not playing Tom Petty anymore? No more running down a dream. But we got we got country rap crap. We got where's where's Centerfold? Bring back Centerfold. I mean that's fine. It's better yeah. than it's better than it's dubbed up country. Nick, I know that you have a, a it's a close place right here, right in the heart area. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna how do we fix this? So I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell a little story that I love to tell. Back in 1998 season, I was sitting in the press box and it was quiet and you didn't hear anything but the pop of the bat and it was just it was it was dead and we were winning right but but the the crowd wasn't into it the announcer wasn't into it and in the middle of the game robe called me to the dugout which was scary always scary terrifying robe's calling you to the dugout in the middle of a game so my 18 year old butt shaken walks goes all the way down there and look robe and i had worked together for like six months so we had a good rapport and he was he was almost like a big brother to me at that point because he was like 40 years old so I go down there and he's standing on the second or third step. I can't which, remember which one it was. And he's swaying back and forth as he does every game or he did every game. And he's like, man, you hear that? I was like, no coach. He goes, exactly. It's quiet. we got to have something going on. Every pitch, every time we do something good, I don't want people sitting on their hands. I want them to get up and cheer. I want music going. I want the, the announcer to get excited. I want people to come here. He's like, this is a three hour game. And we got to do something to make it exciting because baseball um, until you get a hit until you get a big play, it's not exciting. So I took that to heart and the very next game, I mean, I was on Napster or whatever it was. I was downloading wave files, all that stuff, getting music and all that. Um, Pirating baby. Pirating a hundred percent. Still got that stuff up. I mean, I'm not going to, okay, maybe I will not confirm nor deny if we still have those files in the, in the press box, but the, the whole point was baseball is outside of a few plays and, and you watching people are having conversations. People are talking. It's not a game like football where every single play is like you're in the action. There's a lot of downtime. So my thought was, that's why we have the little clips. That's why we have the little Homer Simpsons. We get the crowd involved somehow. Um, we go for the upbeat music, a lot of Cajun stuff because people, I mean, come on, think about the culture in Louisiana. And, and we have so much culture and we're, that's going untapped. We're not going to play that music. Like you said, we're going to play the, the hip hop country stuff. Um, the music didn't evolve through when I was there. And, and that made some people unhappy. I wasn't playing big balls in Cowtown anymore by George Strait. And so we did change some things, um, but it, it's hard I mean, you think about when we when we were doing it and people really caught on to it and then we fed off of each other. You have to be someone who anticipate who knows the game one and can anticipate the next play that's going to happen. So you're ready. And I think with the 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 where we are now as a society, everything is 
I know when I was announcing, I was on my iPad and I was looking at Twitter and I was doing this and I was doing that. And my mind wasn't always on the game. And I think that has a big effect on it too. um, Because the guy who runs the music now is a dear friend of mine. I love, you know, Dennis, the minute I call him Mick scratchy, but he's, he's a buddy of mine. Um, But it really does take somebody who has this weird knowledge of baseball and to be able to like in the middle of the night, wake up and go, Ooh, I heard this jingle on TV and that would be funny when they go out to the mound. It really does take somebody like that. I don't know that they have a a, a ton of people out there anywhere that, that have that ability to kind of see the game. Like I saw it, I was able to teach a couple guys, but it was never really the same, you know, from back in the day. Um, I do think the music selection needs to change and we can start with that. Um, But I think there just needs to be a little more attention paid to the game as it's happening and anticipating that next thing that's going to happen and being ready to hit that button. Because I tell you, when a guy would hit a double, as soon as I heard that that ball get off that bat, I had a mute. I had the song playing and I'd play it low and then I'd pick it up and the crowd would be, you know, cheering to that song and all that. And I think that's what we're missing is somebody to anticipate that next big play happening, you hit the button, you get the crowd pumped, you play the player's music, you get the woohoo going, and it's just like continuous. I can, I will tell you, there were so many times that Coach Robe, Coach Chef, Coach Semino would tell me, man, you had them rocking in there, man. That really gave us momentum. You know, that helped us. That helped our team get into it. Just you getting the music and the crowd getting into it and all that. And I think that's just the one thing that that whoever is running the music now needs to just kind of anticipate what's going to happen and be ready for it. And I think once they figure that out, then I think the rest is easy, but let's, let's get some more Cajun music and, and old school stuff and not Adele. Well, like, <laughs> I hate I'll Adele. An example. Not for baseball, I'll give, man. I'll give you an example. Arthur Conley, sweet soul music, right? Every time I, and I remember every time we would hit like a, a two run double or something like that, or yep. two, yeah, like three, uh, you know, a bases loaded, three RBIs, you know, triple or whatever. And the first song would play was Sweet Soul Music. And, and I remember times when I forgot which inning, but I learned the song I Got Loaded at the UL baseball game. But there's certain songs that that kind of fit in with our culture, but you can still modernize at the same time. I think it's it's kind of getting sort of that equilibrium of of playing old school music that kind of blends in with our culture, because that is one thing we pride ourselves on, especially at the baseball games but also kind of playing that new age sound, like new sound as well. I don't think we've found that balance as of today. I think it's a little bit more newer to where it it's kind of, like I said, I remember certain songs like centerfold and you talked about what was it big balls in Cowtown. I remember that going to the games. I mean, that was uh, that was a staple, um, you know, and of course you still got the, the Homer Simpson, you know, boring and then center field for seventh inning stretch, which I know is never going away. Thank, thank goodness. I, I mean, I think it's the best tradition in all of college baseball, but I, I do think, and, and this is just me as a fan talking, I do think that there is something missing from a local flavor um, that I, I kind of wish would come back. And, and again, you don't have to play all oldies, but at the same time, you know, look at our audience. You have to know your audience. You've got kids, You've got people our age. You've got older people that have been going to ba- UL baseball games for 40 or 50 years. So to get get that blend, get that blend like it used to be, you know? And I think I think the, the music genre in football and basketball 
they have to be tailored toward the players because you're trying to get the players pumped up. But in baseball, it's different. You have to cater to the fans because like if you get a a big, you know, double play to get out of an inning and you're coming back and you're down by one that then going out of that inning, you want to hit something upbeat and it doesn't have to be some, some rap or something, you know, recent it, whatever it is that gets the fans pumped up and dancing in the stands like if it's michael jackson or whatever if they're up and dancing that's going to get the team pumped up so it doesn't have to you don't have to cater to the, the the players as much as you do in the other two sports another cajun song you'd play whenever we get a, a few runs two-step mamu by wayne tubes i remember that song always used to play after a big hit or, or, or cc you know. rider was another one yeah uh that the old school cc rider song yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, things like that, you know, I mean, you played a lot and it wasn't there was another one you played by John Fogarty. It wasn't just center field. There was another one we used to play when the home run when we hit a home run. It was before you dropped the bomb on me. I forgot what it was. Um, oh, um, was it called? Um, was it like traveling man, maybe? Or um, I think you're dreaming stuff now. It was always. I, no, me. <laughs> no I'm, t- I'm telling you, I remember some of this stuff, but it was older stuff. And, it, it and you been. were able to kind of blend it with the new stuff with that the players would walk out to. And I thought it was a great mix, you know, and that added the atmosphere and it made it organic. I think that's the beauty of our baseball games is a lot of our traditions are very organic. It wasn't something that was manufactured. They were more or less um, organic. And I think it started with those sound effects and center field. And, you know, I just don't want that going away anytime soon because we're trying to modernize. You know what I mean? Right. And that was one of that was one of Tony's best things that he did with the Teague was that he was able to bring a lot of our traditions. And also, especially in baseball, especially at the Teague, the, the, the players really get a boost from the fans, not the music in basketball. It's, it's music and even even football, like before kickoffs and whatnot, it's music, but not in baseball. I'll say this. Lafayette, Louisiana has its own food, has its own culture, has its own music, has its own kind of person. All right. One of my biggest complaints is that we don't, our concessions should be 100% authentic local and then throw in some popcorn and some candy when you get a drink at the concession. I think we miss that opportunity every single year. I wish we would go back. I wish somebody would go find the hoagie guy and bring him back. I wish we would have just Jambalaya Shop. Now I know Jambalaya Shop's gone, but something like that. Look, if we're going to have an official boudin, uh, bring some boudin to the Teague. We need po' boys. We need, we need stuff like that. We need to bring Look. back those concessions. Not like we have a great... A concession partner anyway, Sodexo. All right. So it's not like we have a great you know, situation. We need to fix that in my view. Uh, music. How many different styles of Zydeco can you play? How many different styles of uh, traditional Cajun music? I mean, there's so many different things you can play. And, and I'm not saying that it should be 100% of the music played. But a few years ago, we moved towards more Zydeco and more, you know, Buckwheat and, and Keith Frank and Little Nate and all that stuff. There was a lot more of that, and I could tell. I, and you, Pete, you could hear people saying at the games, "Oh, I really like this. This is much better than you know, Nelly or something." <laughs> Shit, I don't know. But you know, it, it, like you said, it's to cater to the folks that are going to the games. We need to use what we have and what this culture gives to us organically. We don't need. I don't know if this comes down to a different coach. I don't know if it comes down to different management. I don't know what it is. But the Teague needs to continue to keep our traditions in place. And music is a huge part of that. It sets the tone in the building. You know, the, the, for a long time, we'd laugh at the Popeyes. You know, that ball is brought to you by Popeyes. Foul ball, blah, blah, blah. Funny. Now they have the most obnoxious glass shattering sound. And it's not sometimes. It's not every third foul ball. 
It is every time. Now, we'll give them some credit. They had a Safe Life uh, commercial that played right after one of those, which I thought was kind of clever. But look, man, we don't need that every time. I, I don't need a piercing shattering every single time we hit a foul ball. I mean, how many foul balls do you hit in a game? 30, 40? I mean, it's ridiculous. So, and then the, the overuse of Homer, the overuse of boring, you know, it used to be cool every now and then to catch you off guard. Now, literally every time there's a pickoff move, boring. I mean, come on. We got to have some nuance up there. We got, we, again, feel the game, like Nick said. You got to anticipate, you got to pay attention. And also, you just got to have some common sense. Like, don't be obnoxious with the sounds. Yeah. Um, going back to your comments about concessions, Sedexo was, um, by the way, when I started announcing Sedexo, I could not say it for the longest time. I would call him Sedexco. But anyway, Scott Tolmach was the manager for Sedexo. I did it again. Um, right when when right when they got the the contract, and and he was the guy who brought in the guy who was making the 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 sandwiches, the the Philly cheesesteaks at the front of the stadium, and they were grilling oysters out there. And they tell were, me those you know, hoagies weren't yes. the best you've ever had. And it was well, like yeah, seven bucks, and you could eat three people off of. They poured like peanut oil on it. Of course, it was good. But the point is, like Tolmach, he, while he represented. Sedexo, he still wanted to do what was best for the fans and think outside the box and let these different vendors come out and, and do their thing. And I think that's what's missing. I don't think it's a Sedexo thing, and Sedexo may have changed over the years, um, but I, I think it's just the willingness of their management to allow those types of things to happen. Uh, so I agree with you. I, I, I think Tolmach did a great job with that. And some, like the music, somewhere along the way, it just got disconnected, and we need to kind of pull that back. Yeah, and, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to dump all over Sodexo. I, I was just kind of trying to be a, a little bit of a smart ass there, but it's true. It, it, they could do a better job, and I'm not talking about just at the Teague. At the Teague, I don't really think it's a problem. I think it's the other venues that are really a problem. But to, to, to Nico's credit, he's, he's been able to kind of finagle some things. Like, for example, the Dino's thing wasn't working out. Look, I know Dino's is a local a staple. I understand that. But there is not a damn thing Cajun about a pepperoni pizza, dude. Come on. I mean, they actually sell some pretty decent other food. Let's let's get some of that out there. Let's get some of those those shrimp po' boys. I mean, that would be pretty easy to to uh, transport back and forth, right? I mean, how well, about that's what I was going to say about Tom. That's what I was going to say about Tomac. He he did the shrimp po' boys, and he's in with Sodexo. That was one of the first things he did. And I remember, you know, when I worked the games, I was like, "What do y'all have tonight?" He goes, "I'm I'm I'm bringing in shrimp po' boys for fans." Now, it's not, you know an old time grocery shrimp pole boy, but at the same time, at least it has local flavor to it rather than just random, you know, hot, you know, dry hot dogs and dry hamburgers. Right. Um, I, I think here it's, it's just harder naturally because we're so, I mean, we have world renowned food. So I, I'm not asking, I don't think we're asking to have gourmet, you know, uh, steak and lobster, but at the same time, when, when you're in Cajun country, you're expected to have somewhat decent food for your concessions rather than just dry hot dogs, you know? Um, and I know Sodexo has that option. They have, I'm sure they can get something that, like you said, Nick, that Scott did get more of that local taste to the stadiums. It might not be a hundred percent, you know, high quality all the way, but it's at least something. And there's at least some effort there. Right, and they had a kind of like hundred dollar swamp thing. Remember that? <laughs> that was yeah. ridiculous. You couldn't, but it was, you, but but it was just it was it was better. It was better than a hot dog, right? And people started talking about it. I'm like, what the hell is that? I want one. I'll spend a hundred dollars on that. So it's 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 that. <laughs> well, it's it's like it's like the beers, right? They were able to get the local flavor, the local taste of beers, but 
you know, if you can do that with food, that would be pretty nice. I mean, look, we it took us an act of Congress to get the Mr. Vicks peanuts back in the in the stadium. You know, something that was we thought naturally was was uh, was was there was no question. Right. I mean, that was I mean, coach. I mean, Tony said it before he built the stadium. Like he told Mr. Vick, he's like, look, man, if you can live a few more years. We're building a stand just for you in the new stadium. So there's certain things to me that that you just you can't you can't afford to lose it. You, you have you have to create a local some of these local staples that 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 we've seen in the past and 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 look people will pay for it they'll eat it if it's good food they will eat it we know that here that's how we are <laughs> you know we're not the pickiest if it's good you know question for y'all what's going to happen first they stop playing sweet caroline or they put cajun food in the baseball stadium cajun food in the baseball stadium now we need to start a petition on the sweet caroline business it's over. It's gotta go. The movement is dead. Nobody even stands up anymore. Section A has finally come to their senses. Literally nobody's singing that thing. It's got to it stop. It has got to go. Look, I have an idea. Why don't we have like a, a retirement weekend where we make this big deal about it and, and make, you know, just be stupid about it and be like, here we're burying it for good and put it away. I think that's that's the way to do it. Well, it's funny because I one thing I notice whenever they play that song is usually that's when people start to leave. If the game's gone off a little bit longer, they start playing Sweet Caroline. It's almost like the signal for fans to start going home. So, I mean, <laughs> you can use it as the argument while it's scaring people away to where they're leaving. Um, I, you know, look, Sweet Caroline is just one of those traditions that only works in Boston. I mean, it just does. And maybe one or two other venues that that have adopted it as a tradition. Our tradition is center field. That, that's just what it is. Um, Sweet Caroline, it's like people are, you know, you watch people kind of, you watch a little bit of section A kind of sing and sway to it because it's almost like an obligation that they kind of have to. But the rest of the fans were just kind of sitting around like this is this is boring. Give me some, give me some Zydeco, man. Give me something. Give me some local music, man. Play Keith Frank in that slot. I don't know. Do well, something to get the to, fans going. To that point, what do you replace Sweet Caroline with? Haters with Keith Frank and Boosie. I'll take that way more. Absolutely. I'll, I'll well, doesn't softball do something like that? I think softball plays that at times. They'll play haters and they'll they'll line dance and they'll play the Cupid Shuffle. I mean, hard pass, see. hard pass on the Cupid Shuffle. I'll do. Well, that. I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> I know it's over. I get it, but I'm using that as an example. It get they get the fans involved rather than them sitting in their hands or just wanting to leave when they hear the the first few notes of Sweet Caroline come on the PA. We'll have to do a poll with that, if we could. If we could get that done, but we also, we need to start a petition and we got to, we got to start complaining about it because I mean, apparently when we complain, things get done. So, Hey, look, John Duga for as long as I know, have known him has been complaining about that song. So, um, I think you have, you've got an advocate on your side. Who's making the call. If John doesn't like it, who's making the call on the song? I think, I think John wanted to, to nix it and don't, I, I mean, this is just going by my awful memory. I think uh, Section A protested because they enjoyed doing it too much. But I think, like Josh said, I think that's kind of run its course with them as well. So you can get your buy-in now. Well, hold on a second. A lot of Section A has come on over to the uh, more comfortable side. They've, they've, they've gotten a little bit older, made some money. They can afford the nice stuff. They're not even sitting over there. Exactly. Anymore. Exactly. It's so I over. think this is the opportunity. This is the opportunity. Look, 
I got I got a lot of my partners in Section A, and I'll straight up tell them, Nick's the song. It's terrible. Okay, get rid of it, please. I will go to their tailgate and be like, guys, come on now. This has to go. Has to go. Yeah, I think we need to bring Nick Dole back, and this will all be fixed. Show me the money, baby, and I'll come back. You pay me what they're, I'm making over here, and I'll go there in a heartbeat. <laughs> Most expensive PA and <laughs> announcer in the country. <laughs> hey, look, why don't they just pay your gas money on the way and call it even? How about that? No, man, you need to use the HUD chopper. He'll just go pick it up. I was going to say, I mean, no HUD chopper have accommodations. Wasn't there a, a private jet used at some point? Yeah. Go I land on the soccer field. Yeah. On the soccer Jerry, field. What, was he using Juschlag's, uh helicopter? What, whose helicopter was he using? I think it was a Canadian ambulance. I'm not sure, yeah, but I remember they were, touring, they were touring the, uh, the high school football stadiums and i believe there was one high school where they landed on the baseball field and i'll say this they they the school or the baseball coach wasn't too happy seeing his his field uh <laughs> damaged that following monday from the helicopter landing there that friday night i just feel like hud everything that he did and and we talked about this in the press box for the longest time it just you looked at hud and he was always so pumped up about stuff that like it was like oh we're taking the helicopter let's go huh and I feel like that's how that conversation went when they tried to like, we're going to, we're going to high school, need a helicopter. Let's go. So uh, I don't know. It, that just brought up those memories. <laughs> big time, big time, big time, big time, big time. You said you had met uh, your secret admirer uh, at the game talking to shrimp. Did you go introduce yourself to him? No, of course not. He would have eaten me. That's a big dude. <laughs> No, but I'm pretty sure it was him. I, I recognize that butt cut anywhere. Uh, well, he was talking to Shrentz, and uh, I didn't want to take the chance that him and Shrentz were friends either because he's scared too. By the way, Josh, I think we need to clear it up. There, there might have been a, a misunderstanding. Um, Chris, the cotton candy guy, as far as we know, is still alive and kicking. Am I right? You saw him like at Mardi Gras. Can confirm as of Mardi Gras 2021. So it's been a year. Uh, okay. Is alive, breathing oxygen, and a, you know, working at pogies. Good to hear. <laughs> when, did, when did he leave? Yeah, uh, I, I have no idea. That there's so many different twists and turns to the saga of Chris. I, I don't. I have no idea. It was close to about ten years ago, I think. Right, Nick? About ten years ago, because uh, he he lived he lived in New Orleans, I believe, and he would travel from Lafayette, and then he would do stuff in the Superdome as well for. Saints games and other events there. So I want to say after he left around 2012, maybe, and I think his, his, his house had burned down or something like that to where they started a GoFundMe and it was all over like KTC one Oh one Oh seven nine. It was kind of like a, where is he now? And they actually, he raised, they raised a lot of money for him for Dude, that, for that the, cause. The goal to raise for Chris was a thousand dollars raised over $25,000. Yeah, I mean, the guy's a well, legend. He, an absolute legend. Slinging cotton candy. Slinging cotton candy, man. You say hey, for I, that kind of money, you'll get me back in Lafayette. No kidding. I mean, let's start a GoFundMe, baby. I wonder what you do make as, a, as an annual, uh, you know, what's your salary as a, a cotton candy salesman? I did wonder that. All right, boys, uh, probably about an hour and a half now. If you have any burning topics that you want to bring up, do it now. Forever hold your peace. And to let you guys know, we always want to, we thank you for, for joining in and listening and, um, you know, sharing the love for 
Cajun sports with the rest of us. We're going to probably record sometime later in the week. Got some good things lined up for you. Got some good content coming uh, your way. Hopefully we go to, we go two and O tomorrow and Wednesday so we can have these topics more uh, to make them more important, if you will, going into Texas state. But uh, I think like you hey, guys said, man, we got to start have tomorrow we confirmed night. confirmed our guests for, for Wednesday. We have, we have confirmed. Good. I we think have. you guys will like the guest on Wednesday. It'd be a very educational interview. So be be on the lookout for that. Nick, you ready to wrap or you got anything? Uh, I'm spent. I'm done. I got to finish this little glass of whatever's in there and, and hit the bed. Long yeah. day tomorrow. Same. Cam's last game is tomorrow, so I got to go to Marble Slab after a 6.30 game. I probably won't get home till 10. It'll be super fun. Hey, Marble, Marble Slab, that, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, when you're five, you can't, but when you're – 37 and ready to go to bed, it's not exactly a lot of fun. Hey, Marble Slab at, th- at age 33 is still fantastic, okay? Don't you – don't and don't you forget it. Look, I'm just going to throw a little Stevie P. Oh, cat. Dude, dude still eats Marble Slab. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dude, I can't tell you I've ever had Marble Slab maybe once. Yeah, I, I, look, it's ice cream. I can't go wrong with ice cream. Oh, and real quickly, just a reminder, if you do want to watch the game tomorrow night, uh, you can all, you can listen, obviously listen to Jay and Top, but also I think CUSA TV will be televising the, the game against Rice. I think you have to pay like six or seven bucks per, per day or I, I think it's I think it's that much. I'd have to double check. We'll let you know on, on the Twitter feed, but I'll watch it at the gas station. Line up at your local Exxon. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right, everybody, appreciate the participation. Be on the lookout for this posted as a podcast probably tomorrow. We will see you next Monday. Oh, we got Chuck. Chuck. Hold on, Chuck. No. What happened? Oh, Chuck. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. Yeah, I want to talk about the gas station right quick. $70 for two minutes to fill up and not a damn second of Conference USA coverage. I'm mad. Got hosed. Terrible. Very much so. Terrible. All right, guys, we'll see you all next Monday.